0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, Wise Woman's
2: Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Good. And is there a welcome to Catherine, too?
3: There is not. I actually haven't heard from her today, so um, I don't know what happened there, but but it's all good. So um, just me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) As we talked about Uh, last week, she's in a different time zone mm
0: -hmm.
2: from both of us, so I think it's going to take a little getting used to to figure it out.
3: Yeah, she has, you know, five kids, and they're homeschooled, but, um, yeah, so a lot going on. A lot going on
2: there at Catherine's house, but she'll get, she'll be with us. Yes. Meanwhile, I had a wonderful invitation this week from the women on the first Israeli herbal conference last year, and they want me to come and teach at their second one next year.
3: Oh, cool. She got a hold of you. Nice.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Really nice, really exciting work that they are doing. I was really amazed to read that, you know, basically people in Israel didn't think of themselves as herbalists even when they used herbs. And that mm-hmm. she she fought a real uphill battle to get this herbal conference together and to get people to... See that what they were doing was important, that using herbs was not just a um, you know something that you did if you couldn't afford drugs, yeah, of course, you only get to bear play lived in Israel, and wrote extensively about it in the summer in Galilee. So I won't have to reread my copy and bone up on all the plants that she talks about in Summer in Galilee. Mhm. Mhm.
3: I don't have a copy of that, but
2: I wish I did now. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really excellent, excellent book. She talks about um, just a huge variety of things that she did. Of course, you know, she's always been a rule breaker. So the very first thing that she did when she got to Israel was to become involved with an Arab. And to sneak back and forth across the border to visit that this Arabic person that she knew and his family, and it got pretty dicey for a lot of reasons. And then she didn't want to, like you know, stay in a communal dwelling, so she found this old abandoned house and stayed there. and And there was some wildlife that had already claimed it, so that was exciting too. Which she discovered, of course, the first night she spent there. Summer in Galilee. It's a very exciting book. The title does not do it justice.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: But I did not want to change the title because I thought it was important to keep that title. And it really was her summer in Galilee. And that's where the Herbal Conference is going to be is in the Galilee region.
3: Oh Well, that would be really cool to experience that. For you too. I mean, because Juliet's been such a big part of your
2: your A Big part of experience. my life. The last time I was in Israel, I realized was fifty years ago when I lived in Svat, and they were throwing bombs over the hills of Galilee.
0: hmm
2: It was the three days war. It was scary.
3: And it's pretty safe there these days.
2: It is quite safe there these days. Mm-hmm. And she wrote back to me and she said, what were you doing in Israel during the war? I'm like, yeah, right. What was I? Well, that's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> a one-legged man took me there. Hmm. Yeah.
3: Interesting, Susan.
2: <laughs> Interesting. Yes, these foreign places, you know. This invitation to go and teach in Nepal and to bring a group of women, women with us on a, a women's tour of Bhutan and Nepal, led by a wonderful woman named Lata Love. I think that's going to be in the newsletter, in my e-zine, that's getting published today or tomorrow. Information about that. That's this November, and then the the Israel trip will be next year. And it's not a group. the The Tibet-Bhutan one is a group that we are. Getting together.
3: And you're going to, have you been there before?
2: Mm-mm. No, I have oh, wow. never been to Benton,
3: And anybody can sign up for that? Uh-huh. Okay. I'll check mm-hmm. it out. It sounds like it's going to be spendy, but.
2: <laughs> uh, but <laughs> it's going to be so amazing. Yeah, I've lots. always
3: wanted to go up there. Actually, I love that region. And, of course, there's so much sound up there. They, like, you know, I- everything's in the sound instrument, so...
2: Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Lata, who's Nepalese, you know, has the in on everything, and she said, well, what do you want to see? And I said, you know, herbalists, pharmacies, farms, and she said, got it, we'll do all that in addition to all the goddess-focused stuff that she does.
0: Oh,
3: cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's very Bring some extra... Very- some extra money to and an extra bag to bring some stuff back. <laughs> there you
2: go. <laughs> the
0: stuff there. When mm. I was in India I didn't
3: bring back that much stuff because it was you know, I didn't have very much extra money in space and stuff, but
0: exactly. I was like I'm gonna
3: come back and get more i am I'm gonna buy stuff when I come back because
2: <laughs> everything's
3: there's so much cool stuff there in that region, you know.
2: Mm. It must be time to be harvesting balm of Gilead buds, is that right?
3: Yes, I have harvested some. I actually already, um, I just made, I just had a small batch of oil that I I'd made that I had harvested a little earlier um, in this season. And then I hope to go back out. The last time I was planning on going, it started raining. And then, so.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I remember Eagle Song saying that she always waits for those cold snaps that will often break off branches so that the harvest is easier.
3: Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, that's like the that that's always really cool to find when the when the the branches are on the ground because yeah, some of I mean some of the the the, um, cottonwoods here are very very tall and they don't have very many low laying branches so you have to know like the spots where you can find some of the smaller ones and where they have low hanging hanging branches and stuff so because a lot of them are inaccessible but yeah. Finding them on the ground is
2: is the score right <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> It's got to be one of my favorite smells in the whole world
3: Oh, it's great, I love it too
2: mm-hmm. mm.
3: it's uh really it really uh sticks to everything though so whatever you make it in that it's dedicated to that for life
2: <laughs> oh, the smell lingers.
3: Well, yeah, and it's—I mean—that resin is just so sticky; it doesn't come off. I mean, when you make, when after it's strained, I can put it in a pan and scrub the pan out. But like, if anything that it infuses into, or any of the um, the whatever I strain it into, like a colander type thing, and um, anything like that is just—it's—it's it's totally resonate, resonated for for
2: life. Wow. So Do you have to yeah. use proof alcohol because of the resin, or does vodka work?
3: Oh, as far as for making tincture?
2: Mm-hmm. Do you ever make tincture? So I don't make
3: just... t- I don't actually make tincture of it. It's not something mm-hmm. that, um, I mean, I just haven't been drawn to make tincture of it. I really love the salve because of, like, the smell and just – I I I actually like to mix it with hypericum sometimes to, like, Ooh, get, like, nice. really good muscles and um, – yeah, I feel like it's like a nice, that it works well for like uh, psoriasis and stuff like that
2: too. Mm, mm. Um, I always saying, feel like it, the balm of Gilead is like a warm rock on the muscles. It's just so soothing and warming into the muscle tissue. And then mm-hmm. the hyperic, of course, gets into the nerves and wow, what a great one too. hmm
3: yeah sometimes it's nice to mix things like I was given that to to Sean's mother when she was having like a lot of um the nerve endings in her feet were she's having a lot of problems with um uh not they were really painful and the nerves were like dying in her feet and so she was putting that on and I actually mixed it and i put hypericum and then the cottonwood oil and um and some c b d in there
2: yeah, I, really I think that that highlights an area that people often get confused about. I make all my remedies as simples, but that doesn't mean that I only use one at a time. Right.
3: Yeah, that's how I do it, too. I make them all as simple exactly. as So you don't
2: make a, a remedy with all those things mixed together. You make them as simple. Then for you her, mix-
3: I did because... It's, it's it and was you mix easier. up a small
2: amount as the as the remedy, so that you can change the proportions as the condition changes.
3: Yeah, because everybody has like a unique issue. So, like I'll find myself like doing like custom things for you know specific things for people like depending on, you know what what is what it is you know so how it shows up.
2: And because having all those really symbols makes it easy because yeah. Because you can do that. You can play. I remember being down in Gretchen Gould's basement, you know, Amazing Greece, And there were, oh, I don't know, maybe a couple of hundred gallon jars of herbal oils there. Mm-hmm. And Mm, She would would (laughs) invite me and the apprentices there and say to the first apprentice, okay, what kind of stab do you want to make? What do you want it to do? And then, you know, the apprentice would say, well, I want it to do this. And she said, say, well, you can choose this and this and this. do that. And then each apprentice got to custom craft a salve. That's awesome. Yeah. From those several hundred choices. Really, totally amazing.
3: hmm yeah, I I love working with oils. They're very like messy and uh, finicky and stuff, but I mean they're so it's so worth it when you when you can make like special things like that, you know.
2: So yeah, it's worth it.
3: <laughs> it's messy though. It,
2: it is. It is.
3: I can't imagine. Hey, tonight we're
2: going to be talking to Sonia Grace, who is a mystic, a healer, an artist, and a storyteller. She has both Norwegian and Native American. Heritage, and uh, she's an award-winning author of books such as Spirit Traveler, Become an Earth Angel, Dancing with Raven and Bear, and the Nine Realms Oracle. So she will be here to talk about Odin and the Nine Realms Oracle at 9 o'clock East Coast time. That's about an hour and 15 minutes from now, whatever time zone you're on.
3: And it's so funny because this past weekend I had uh, Gaia TV on, which I don't very often do, but I saw this show, Ancient Civilizations, and I didn't realize I forgot that that was even in her bio until I looked at it again. And um, I saw her on this show, and uh, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be the guest ne- this next week. <laughs> wow. And, she's, and she was talking about Stonehenge and um, how, cause she's like a spirit traveler, and so she's able to communicate with the beings that originally had constructed Stonehenge, what she calls Palladians, and, um, It was just really really interesting because also in that same episode they're talking about how stonehenge is laid out like um the the reproductive organs of a woman and then all around stonehenge there's like these other ancient sites where there were um these priestesses that got murdered and they were buried in these mounds and they all have elongated schools, and they're very tall beings, and um, just stuff that you don't really hear about normally, you know? So it was, like, so thought-provoking, thought, thought-provoking and I love ancient sites, so it was cool. And then she's going to be on this week, so today.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> very cool stuff, though, huh?
2: It is, it is. You know, I don't spend a lot of time in the car, but I do go out for my singing lesson every week, and it's a half an hour there and a half an hour back. And so I always – listen to some college level course and the one I'm listening to right now is How to Think Like a Skeptic. Mhm. And so I have to say that my skeptic button has been pushed by much of what you say.
3: Well, there's a whole hidden I think, uh you know, like the goddess cults like where those came from and I I mean I think there's a lot that we don't know, so
2: the fact that there's a lot that we don't know does not mean that there were extraterrestrials. Mhm. That's that was the focus of the lecture that I listened to on the way home from my singing lesson was the fact that you cannot explain something does not make it inexplicable. Most people Well I find act, that the
3: elongated think and to the you have their top.
2: car runs.
3: Well, I mean, I'm saying that that, that there's elongated skulls and these very tall beings, and I mean, you know, it's 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 mysterious for sure, and I I mean, I think I I think that it's
2: uh not something
3: that I, I doubt. So I one of the doubt. one
2: of the skeptic rules is believe the thing that is the least likely to have any kind of um, previous mindset on it. Believe believe the thing that um, is the least remarkable. So if we were to say, there were aliens who did Stonehenge, or we were to say, these people are exaggerating or being mistaken about what they're reporting to you. The thing that is the, the least likely is that there were aliens. So I prefer to believe that they are somehow mistaken. Hmm.
3: Have you ever seen like a, a UFO I sat next to a
2: woman who had such a skull.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm just curious, have you ever you, it's
3: seen? It's incredibly like- easy to
2: mold a baby's skull. The Mayans did it.
3: Uh huh. Well, there's a difference between
2: Mayans tied a board to the baby's forehead so that it would be elongated.
3: They've shown they've actually what are we What uh, are we
2: talking about? Taller, taller and
3: elongated skulls. So there's actually a difference between them, Yeah. and you can and they can. It can be scientifically. I mean, and plus, like actual pictures of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I'm going to ask her to send me a link to them. Because I am, at heart, a skeptic. And, of course, it's one of the reasons...
3: Have you seen UFOs or anything like that with all of your endeavors that you've you've done, or no?
2: There is no such thing, honey. There's just no such thing. I'm sorry.
3: I mean, I've seen them with my own eyes, and there's no question in my mind. So, I mean, I... I understand that
2: you saw something in the sky. I also understand... That about ninety nine point five percent of everything that anybody thinks is a UFO has a very reasonable explanation.
3: This um, moved very quickly. It, it went and it disappeared through like a. It was. I mean, it was like it's. I, and I mean, there's there's so. There's so what so you're much. telling
2: me? So let's again use this rule. What you're telling me is that I should believe that there are aliens with. Unidentified flying objects, let's say flying saucers, who are here, but nobody ever sees them and they're not doing anything at all. Now, which is the more clear belief? I wouldn't say it is right clear ever... to believe that you are somehow mistaken, Rebecca.
3: I mean, I've talked to people There's that have seen them. It's simply
4: not a body
2: of evidence <laughs> that would – and believe me, there are a lot of people looking for that evidence, and there are even scientists looking for that evidence. It's called SETI, Right. And the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And mm-hmm. SETI is an established branch of science that has been using a, 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 all kinds of uh, telescopes and radioscopes and things. This has been going on for over 50 years. Hard mm-hmm. science has been attempting to to find... To search for extraterrestrial intelligence, and so far we have come up completely empty handed. So, as a well, skeptic, I believe what I saw, and I believe I, think other I have to say. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the rules of the skeptic is an anecdote is not a fact, it's an anecdote, it's your experience. But that doesn't prove to me that what you saw has an extraterrestrial origin
3: i'm not trying to prove anything it proves to me that
2: you (laughs) saw something and that you don't have an explanation for it and therefore you've chosen to explain it in this way and here we are at story medicine and how impactful story medicine is in our lives and i'm thrilled to see that the american herbal guild next year is devoting their entire conference to story medicine. And I certainly, you know, would not want to take Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or the Great Pumpkin away from anyone. Hmm. If believing in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and the Great Pumpkin add meaning and richness to your life, then I'm all for it.
3: Sweet. All right, let's take the first caller. The first caller is coming from the 760
5: area code.
2: Hello, what's up tonight?
5: hi Susan. Um, so I have a question about, um, a skin infection that I have, um, which I believe to be tinea versicolor.
2: Um, tell me, uh, tell me about your, ex- what you're feeling, what you're experiencing.
5: So it's a discoloration on my skin. Um, it's kind of wrapping around my body now from my back. It's going onto my belly and onto my neck. Um, and it's fairly, uh, uncomfortable when it dries out, becomes very itchy. Um, but so far I've found it, I believe it's a fungal skin infection, um, that's feeding on the yeast on my skin. Um, so I just have some questions about some, like, possible herbs I could be using. I'm working with burdock at the moment. Um, and I was just curious about, like, possibly using oak bark or maybe a comfrey salve. I was a little bit hesitant to put a salve on it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it the feels a little bit
2: Herbs that moist. are considered the most antifungal are horsetail and anything containing berberine. So I would berbering? say, since berbering. you think it's a fungus, that um, working from the inside is not going to be effective. Okay. In other words, working from the inside says, oh, there's something wrong with my skin that started from the inside. Yeah. And the analogy little that little I use here is, rivers. if you go out in the rain without an umbrella and you get wet, did that happen from the inside? <laughs> No. No, it's raining. You got wet. If there is a fungus growing on your skin, it's not happening from the inside. It has to be dealt with from the outside, and you need to use an antifungal to do that.
5: Correct. Okay.
2: So can be used in any way. You can buy horsetail and make an infusion of horsetail and use that as a rinse. Fungus is shed spores, as you know, and those spores then get into your clothes, your bedding and your toweling. And so when you're working to clear a fungus, it's a time for hysterical hygiene. Oh, wow. Vinegar kills funguses. So all of your bedding... Your clothing that touches that part of your body, your towels need to be washed, and then have a final rinse of vinegar. Some people leave the vinegar in. Some people just dump the vinegar in with the wash water in their washer and say that's good okay. enough. It doesn't have to stay in there.
5: Um, even though I'm being told it's not contagious, it's still – the spores are still linger, kind of lingering around. Essentially, not
2: contagious to others. Okay, but it can spread on you, can't it?
5: Yeah, very much so. It is,
2: and that's one of the reasons it's spreading.
5: Okay, so sunlight
2: kills
5: sunlight kills
2: funguses, doesn't it?
5: Yeah, I tried. I actually tried that, and through the summers I would. Sit out in the sun and try to burn it away but um, in fact that just made more of a discoloration um, yeah it didn't really work at all
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you've had this for a long time now
5: yeah I've had it for a few years I actually um, did go to the doctor and I did use a um, synthetic it's called ketoconazole shampoo and they mm-hmm. had me put that on my body, um, as a lather twice a week. And if that worked, it actually went away, but now it is back. And I do not feel comfortable using that again because it's a synthetic. I'm not too sure what's in it, but you know,
2: I'm not sure what you mean by it's a synthetic.
5: Um, just my research on it is showing me that it's, um, It's a cream that contains a broad spectrum synthetic antifungal agent. I'm not yeah, I don't really know too much about it. So, is the word synthetic a problem for you? Um
2: I take uh, it you don't take it you don't use a computer which is made of synthetic materials.
5: <laughs> no, yeah, I do.
2: Talking on a telephone which is made of synthetic materials. I think yeah, that you do not have glasses, which are made of synthetic materials. They're not glass anymore, right?
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just—I was looking for a way to approach this a little bit. Yeah, approach it in a different fashion.
2: But That's fine. I'm all—I'm all, I'm all with you. It, it I'm just saying that you're surrounded by synthetics.
5: Yeah, I understand.
2: Right. And if it worked for you, it—you know—then it's nice to know that it's there and that you could. Use it. So plants yeah. that contain berberine are usually yellow in color, like golden seal, coptis, Oregon grape root, also known as mahonia. And these, again, used as an infusion and put on the skin, or some people put tincture on their skin if it's made in vodka, because that's kind to the skin. This sounds a little irritated and itchy, so tincture might make it worse. And when you say it's growing on the yeast on your skin, what does that mean?
5: Um, So the research on tinea versicolor and what my doctor is saying is they're saying that the fungus is feeding off of the yeast on my skin.
2: And then does the fungicide that you used get rid of the yeast on your skin? Um. Wow. I'm a little. I don't know. Yeah, I'm a
5: little curious. It says it's an anti, It says it's an antifungal agent.
2: Antifungal, right?
5: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's getting rid of the yeast. I think it's more attacking the fungus.
2: Mm-hmm. So, do you think that the yeast on your skin varies according to things that you might do?
5: Yeah, I'm assuming the diet I have.
2: I would think diet, yes, but I would think things more like swimming or bathing in chlorinated water, which would change the amount of yeast on your skin.
5: Oh. Oh, yeah, I don't do that. Would that lessen it, possibly?
2: It's certainly possible, right? Chlorine is also known as bleach.
5: Oh. Oh. Maybe go for a swim?
2: <laughs> Maybe.
5: Again right.
2: I'm uncertain as to whether your diet has any influence on this.
5: Yeah.
2: Because it really is very much on the outside.
5: Okay.
2: Burdock is a wonderful herb and it's, you know, renowned for healing the skin and you certainly can't come to any harm by using burdock. But I sincerely doubt that it will get rid of a fungal infection.
5: Understood. Yeah. Cool. Oh, um,
2: crawling across the floor. Yeah, Welcome to <laughs> Spring Spider. <laughs> <Fun>. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is a good yeah, omen. This
5: is some good information.
2: Oh, yeah. That's fun. <laughs> and that's, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross taught us that when things move from the right to the left, that means that things are going away. So. What you're doing is going to make your skin, intake Skin, whatever, whatever it is, go away, according to this spider in Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. <laughs> awesome. A <laughs> skeptic so teacher would say, oh, very bad, Susan. Not good science. But we'll leave it at that. We know that it's, that it's just fun for fun.
5: I think speaking with you is, is the start, too, of that. So that's good.
2: <laughs> All right. Thanks for your call tonight.
5: All right, thank you so much.
2: Okay, if you call back in a month and let us know what's happening, it would be interesting for everybody.
5: Awesome, sounds great.
2: Thank you, green blessings, good night. Thank you, bye.
3: The next caller is coming from the 787 area code.
2: Hello? Hi, what's up tonight?
6: How are you? Thank you for taking my call. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm calling about my eyes. Um, I have I've been experiencing uh, really dry eyes, and it's been going on for a while now, um, maybe more than a year.
2: Are more you taking any medication that could cause your eyes to be dry?
6: No, I'm not taking any anything. All right, I'm doing the uh, herbal infusions regularly.
2: Uh-huh. Are you working at? Are you working at some place that has a particulate matter that could be irritating to your eyes or living in a place like that?
6: Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I live in, in a townhouse that's full of carpet. I heard that's really bad for dry eyes with allergens. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And
6: um, I just yesterday removed a bunch of mold from uh, my, my bathroom and my my bedroom window. Good uh, for so you. I, I right. That might have uh, contributed to it, maybe.
2: It might. I mean, it's it's very difficult to tell, and it's one of those things that it starts out pretty mild, and then it just kind of spirals in on itself. And the drier your eyes are, like the drier they seem to get.
6: Yeah, and it's um it, it, it's been causing um, sensitivity to light, which is really really concerning, and um I, and frustrating because, I mean, everywhere I go, it's, it's like, it's hard to, to open my eyes, you know?
2: Um, right. So have you yeah. tried anything that hasn't worked at this point?
6: Uh, yeah. So I tried, um, doing, doing, um,
2: chickweed on, on my eyes, uh, a while ago. Tell me about how, what form the chickweed was in and how you did it.
6: So it was, um, so we did the, the chickweed boiling and then I the next morning I took the like the um the herb and like put that in the in the t shirt and then put that on the mm-hmm. side. So
2: it was dried chickweed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have never known dried chickweed to be effective. No. There's something in the fresh chickweed that is effective but it does not seem to uh, survive drying Or um, the rehydration of the dried material. Okay. Uh, But a good choice. Chickweed is a good choice. And Mm -hmm. it loves early spring. It's already growing in many of my, um, you know, I keep a lot of plants out on my deck in the summer and they all have to come in the house. And to me, it's one of the first signs of spring when the chickweed starts growing in all these potted plants that I have in the house. So if you have any plants inside with you, look and see if there's some chickweed growing and or start looking around outside. I don't recognize where in the country you are from your area code. Are you in a cold area or a warmer area? I'm in the Boston area. Mm-hmm. So pretty cold. Chickweed loves cities. Yeah. We found chickweed growing in Amsterdam in February. Okay. So keep yeah, your eyes think- open for it. It's out there. Except so that the city provides chickweed. enough warmth for the chickweed to grow. Again, in that same situation, you know, there's like a little curbside flower bed. There's some chickweed there. There's a, a tree in a box with some soil around it. There's some chickweed there. Mm, okay. So Those heavier. are the places so to look for. The yeah. same thing,
6: I just boil it and then do the same thing? Like...
2: No, do not boil it. Take the fresh chickweed, crush it between your hands, and put it right on your eye. With okay. the eyelid closed, of course.
6: Yeah, yeah. What
2: do you
6: think about um, eye drops?
2: Because... If if it works for you, I think it's fine. Now, I was just talking to my brother, and um, my brother is diabetic, and the diabetes has caused him to have dry eyes, and he's been using prescription eye drops to help wet his eyes. And... He said to the doctor, "He said it seems like the more I use these eye drops, the drier my eyes become." And the doctor said, "Oh yeah, that's the side effect of those eye drops. It makes your eyes drier."
6: Yeah, that's what I'm. Cause I don't want to be addicted to them, and then I have to keep buying them, you know. So I I read um an article. I searched and uh, one of the Google results was um, some article, and it was showing how goji berry tincture is actually really good for dry eye. Have you
2: have you known that? Goji berry is entirely safe. You can eat or drink or take as much goji berry as you want, and nothing bad will happen to you.
6: Yeah, but um, is it good for dry
2: eyes? Goji berry is – my understanding is that the idea with goji berry is that it's loaded with carotenes. It's bright red. And that carotenes, of course, are very important for eye health. And the stories that I've read are from hunters who say we drink goji berry um, so that we can see the animals when the light is low. Mm. Okay. So my understanding is that for acuity of sight, for sharpness of sight, um, to be able to see well in low-light situations, I know that my diet, because it contains a lot of greens and it contains nourishing herbal infusions, keeps my eyes um, – very healthy and very well able to see in very low light situations. I find I'll go outside with other people and I'll be able to see in a, within easily within a minute. My night vision will come on and other people are waiting five or ten minutes before they're able to see in the dark. So certainly, Goji can be a great help to the eyes, whether or not it will... Deal with dryness, because you're probably not going to be putting goji berries in your eyes, right?
0: (laughs) No.
2: (laughs) This is another, if we treat inside, will it affect outside? And probably not. I just
6: wonder why this is
2: happening. It makes sense to drink goji berry if we want our eyesight to be sharper, which involves the whole eye. But if the eye is dry, then something else is happening. Now... One of the things that we can think about here are demulcents. Demulcents are things that soothe, and they are usually slippery. And there are a huge number of demulcents. One of the primary demulcents is honey. Mm-hmm. And you can easily put some honey in your eyes or dilute some honey in a little bit of warm water and put that in your eyes. Like on or in my eye? You could put it right in your eyes. It's honey. Would you eat it? Yeah, I've never put it in my eyes, though. <laughs> As I said, you know, just you could just take some honey and start dabbing it around your eye, and then the natural moisture of your eye will draw that honey in. And honey is not only a demulcent, it's not only soothing and slippery, it's also a humectant, which means it literally draws moisture out of the air to itself and the tissues that it's contacting. The other grand demulcent, there there are many, many herbal demulcents, but the other really fabulous demulcent is milk. Mm. And milk is used worldwide to heal the eyes. As a matter of fact, there's some samurai, old samurai movie, and the opening scene is all these samurai furiously slashing at each other, and one gets slashed in the eye. And he goes running into an inn, and there's a woman who's serving in the inn, and she sees him bleeding from his eye. She grabs him, throws him into her lap, tears open her bodice, and starts squirting milk from her breast into his eye. Failing that, we can always buy milk.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, I don't have anyone like that around.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, you know, I uh, my birthday is in, in the winter in early February, and years ago I had a big party and invited all these people, and of course, it snowed like crazy the day before, so that the morning of my birthday, I was greeted with all of this snow, and I thought, Oi, you know, I guess they can park their cars out on the road, because the road was plowed, but they still have to walk up a long driveway to get to my house, so I went out, and I started shoveling to make a path for everybody, and of, of course, as I shoveled, the sun came out, and the sun melted the path where I was shoveling, so instead of just having a nice path, I now had a little icy path, And so I went to the barn, and I got some hay to put on the icy path because I thought, okay, you know, it's wet now. The hay will stick to it. People won't slip. And I was working pretty rapidly and wasn't paying really close attention, and I picked up a bundle of hay, and there was a a, a straw that jabbed right into my eye Uh. and cut my cornea. And I knew exactly. I knew that my cornea was cut because I used to wear contacts and I had corneal scratches because I lived in New York City and my corneas were getting scratched all the time. So I knew exactly what the feeling was. And I thought, oh, great, you know, everybody's going to come to my birthday and I'm going to have, you know, one eye, swollen, shut, red, and dripping tears. Pretty birthday girl. So what I did was I dug under the snow by the house where I knew there was some celandine growing because I knew that celandine would heal things in my eyes very, very rapidly. I'm not necessarily suggesting it for you. It's more astringent. And I whirred that fresh selen up with milk. And then I strained it so that there wasn't any plant material in it. And I put it in my eye. And the first thing that happened was my eye felt like it was on fire. And I thought, oh, good, great. Herbalist blinds itself. But within an hour, the eye was absolutely normal, not swollen, not red, and I felt no pain at all. Okay. So think about milk. Yeah, I will. Yeah, milk is a really easy thing to use, and then demulcent herbs. You know, those are all those slippery herbs like slippery elm and marshmallow and plantain seed and chia seed, and even figs are considered demulcent. Okay. So we could we could see you, you know, in a kind of spa situation here, um, laid back with a couple of figs put on your eyes, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they need to be fresh, not dried.
6: <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, thank you, you gave me a bunch of uh, remedies.
6: I appreciate
2: it. Okay. Green blessings. Take care. Thank
6: you.
3: Bye bye. The next caller is coming from the eight four five area code.
2: Hello. Hello. Hi.
7: Hi, Susan. How are you?
2: I'm enjoying this early springtime. How about you?
7: Yes. Yes, very much so. It's great. So um, I was looking at an older post, and it was about smoking cessation. And uh, it mentioned three things, the nettles, the oat straw, and the sunflower seeds. And I completely understand Uh the mechanism of the oat straw and the nettles. Uh, I did some research on the neural pathway and the um, nicotine receptor and how the sunflower uh, binds to that. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So I'm putting in a large order uh, herbs for the uh, nourishing infusions And um, I was thinking, well, I ought to do something a little bit more because I've been smoking, uh, like, pretty much my whole life. And um, every time I stop, I I get very seriously ill, although I do not smoke that much, Mm -hmm. I read it could be some, you know, a genetic factor. But at any rate, um, I was thinking Mother Wart might be a good ally, and I'm out. So my choice is to buy the tincture made, um, which is made from fresh, of course, and then they they do have it um, dried. And I was w- wondering if do the not, dried... You do not worked. want
2: dried motherwort? Not at all. Uh-uh. Okay. My mother bought some dried motherwort, made a cup of tea, and called me up and said, that's the kind of remedy that makes you well because you hope you never have to take it again. <laughs> God, really taste awful. Okay, so that's that and
4: well,
7: um th- w- what else could I uh do um to sort of keep the um the the you know, the horrible symptoms of panic and you know,
2: it's very stressful. Um it's I've tried a
7: lot of things and nicotine <laughs> so, you know,
2: smoking. is smoking Smoking is a behavior, and one of the things that I find most successful is if the, if you allow yourself to maintain the behavior but drop the tobacco slowly so one one way that that I have known people to do this, is they go from pre-rolled cigarettes to rolling their own, and they use nicer tobacco like American Spirit. I'm already
7: doing that, yeah.
2: And they begin to add smoking herbs into it. Now, smoking herbs are a big deal in North America. In fact, smoking herbs are a big deal all over the world, but especially in North America, where they were collectively known as knickknick. And every medicine person had her or his own blend of kinnikinick. Many teenagers remember smoking corn silk.
0: Oh, really?
2: Right.
7: Huh. Never tried it.
2: It's a nice smoke. Sumac berries were one of the favorite kinnikinicks. In North America, and in fact, sumac berries were taken to Europe as a smoke before tobacco was, because of course the tobacco that was grown at that point was a very small plant. Right, native tobacco is, you know, hardly ever higher than knee high,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, so there wasn't a lot of it, and the native people weren't, you know, into sharing it. But sumac berries are everywhere, and they make a wonderful smoke, and it was widely uh, ad- adopted, you know among people who like to smoke in Europe, until the, tobacco was introduced. And then, of course, tobacco took over because it does have these addictive qualities. <coughs> well, the word kinnikinnik has now become a word that means uva ursi. What? Urs- I- yeah, arctostaphylos, uva ursi, right, a low-growing plant. The Leather, small leathery leaves is now known as connecticut, and it of course was one of the major connecticans. It was in almost every smoking blend, and you can easily buy uva ursi. Mullen is an herb that we know that is that has wonderful effects on the lungs, and it is also an herb that's been smoked. I've t-
7: I've tried the mullen. <clears throat> um, of course, there's marijuana too. Um, there
2: is indeed.
7: But it's still the 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 physical effects, um even when I know the nicotine is out of my body, it's like what's happening in my brain with us is is
2: very painful. It's so it's, you're saying that if you smoke something that does not have tobacco in it you're in great pain. Yes,
7: I actually throw up, get a fever Feels and like that so, and that
2: doesn't pressure? happen if you don't. If you just stop smoking, then you don't have any of that problem. Is that what you're so
7: saying? No, when I stop smoking, I get these horrible physical symptoms. And if it's, you,
2: but if you continue to smoke, using less and less tobacco and more and more herb, what happens?
7: Um, well, I, I really haven't weaned it the way I plan on this time, so I'm hoping this that is would be better. what I'm be
2: suggesting. Better. Don't yeah. Stop smoking. Maintain the behavior. The behavior of smoking is important. Okay. But substitute plants that are neutral to the lungs or beneficial to the lungs, If you have to keep putting a small amount of tobacco in with whatever you're smoking, it's not the end of the world. How many Native American medicine people died of lung cancer? None that I know of. None. How many South American shamans who actually smoke and ingest staggering amounts of tobacco, how many of them get lung cancer? None. So far as we know, and there's no... Hard evidence on it, but the circumstantial evidence is pretty strong that the problem with tobacco is not the tobacco and not the nicotine, but the way that tobacco is grown. And the additives, the tobacco company has admitted to putting how many additives in cigarettes? Yeah, I'm, I
7: don't smoke those. I've always smoked American Spirit. In fact, I was one of the people that's that bought I'm, it so here from the West in nineteen eighty
2: six. Health reasons, you may not need to do that.
7: The doctors say my lungs are really good, and
2: that's what um, I'm.
7: But I'm just, I I don't know what's going on with me right now. I I want to just leave my old self. And be like a diff, a new, different, fresh me. Um, I've I've been giving up a lot of things, and it's making me very happy. So I just thought, what are, like, what I what are some of the other
2: I, things you've given up that are making you happy? If you don't mind sharing,
7: I don't mind opioids, alcohol, bad friends. Um, <laughs>
2: Good choices, uh, Good choices. Yay! Yeah. Um, and, again, what I'm saying that I don't think you're hearing is that the people who smoke are shamans. Smoking is a shamanistic behavior. Your body is telling you very, very clearly that this behavior is important to it. And it's not just important on a physical level. There is a deep spiritual significance to your entire being, to your smoking And I don't think you should give it up. I think you're doing great giving up opioids. I think you're doing great giving up alcohol. I think you're doing great giving up bad friends. I think you're doing great giving up, you know, too much screen time or too much TV or white bread or white sugar. Those are all good things to give up.
7: Yeah, I gave up all of that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but I think smoking can be part of the new you.
7: You know, I was almost thinking, too, like I've, I'm feeling really really great and um I'm 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 wondering what what's possessing me to keep just thinking I need to just keep giving up, giving up, giving up things, you know, uh possessions and um I I I don't know what's going on in me, but um I'm just I just can't seem to stop myself almost like I'm addicted to giving up things.
2: Well, it sounds as though you tend toward being addicted. The things that are addictive are attractive to you, like bad friends and opioids and so on. And some people are more prone to addiction than others. It's not a character flaw. It's, in fact, it's probably genetic. Well, um, they
7: say physically I'm yeah, not addicted. because there are actually people, never... and
2: I've met them, who can you know, take opioids, even heroin. And not be addicted. They can't take heroin, you know, every day and not be addicted. But they can take it once or twice and not be addicted. Whereas, no, I
7: wasn't addicted. I, I never first, had withdrawal. very first
2: time I smoked opium, I knew there could never be a second time or that would be the rest of my life would be opium. Oh, yeah, I know. I tried it once as well. That was it. That was it. That's it. I'm sorry. Yes, that's it. Once and no more. Like yeah. so we, we can feel, you know, how that is. And so I take it very seriously that your body goes into such upset and rebellion when you try to give up smoking. And so, again, let's make the smoking good for you. Smoke in a pipe instead of papers. Right? Make it a ritual. Make, do, you know, get up and do a sunrise smoke and do a sunset smoke. And let that be the two smokes of your day. You don't have to, you know, be like the English professor I had who was in the war and had lost – parts of almost all of his fingers, who chain-smoked with that hand and waved it around in front of us while he was lecturing. I can't remember a word the man said, but boy, do I have the image of him chain-smoking in that that hand with pieces of fingers.
7: Yuck. Yeah, I don't smoke that much, and um, I never did that addictive amount of anything. I've I've never, you know, had excess amounts. It's just that the every day, every day, every day kind of thing. It seems to...
2: Every day are a practice if you make them a practice. If you do it mindlessly, it's a habit. If you do it mindfully, it's a practice. Would you say, oh my goodness, this person must be addicted to meditation, they meditate every day? No. It's okay to brush your teeth every day. There are some things that it's okay to do every day. And greeting the sun as it comes up and as it goes down is a thing that a lot of spiritually serious people do around the world. And they often do it with fire, smoke, or smoking.
7: Yeah, I really am attracted to the fire. I have to tell you, Uh, it it draws me in like almost nothing else. That and water, which are...
2: Yes, yes. So I think that, that the new you is going to be more supportive of your shamanic powers, which it, it it sounds, I'm a little hesitant about this, but it sounds like um, you've been in retreat from them. Because, of course, having shamanic powers does not make one ordinary.
7: Yes, I, I am uh, in a hermitage state at, at this time very much well i really like your idea about making things sacred and i believe that's really why i'm making these choices so you you really you really what you say really speaks to me and i will definitely um try to alter my behavior in terms of uh having more reverence yes uh and probably for everything i do um it would it would be helpful to be in that state and i suppose that is really why i want to do this i think so it I, is i, I thank I you for your is.
2: insight it's really incredible how you do that it's just fast yeah. yeah. and it's you know you're you're preparing yourself for this you're preparing yourself to live in a blessed way mhm well, thank you for
7: supporting me. I, I just don't want to be seen as like something disgusting, you know, and often smokers are looked at that way. So if I keep it more, um, it, you know, to myself, then I guess I wouldn't be
2: giving people that, that kind of chance. Exactly. To, My mom smoked cigarettes. And so the smell of tobacco has always been the smell of love to me. hmm and it's been a great loss in my adult life that so few opportunities arise for me to smell the smell of tobacco burning. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Well, I'll have to come visit you. <laughs> <laughs>
7: well, thanks so much, Susan. I don't want to take up too much time from the other callers. So,
2: Green blessings. Uh, thank you for your call.
7: Thank you, Susan. Good night.
2: Good night.
3: The next caller is coming from the 352
8: area code. Hello, Susan. Hello. Hi. I just wanted to uh, tie up. That was a great conversation with that lady. I um, I feel like I'm maybe just a year in that because I had started smoking in a divorce, the American Spirits and everything. It was all secretive. I had a bunch of children. In the conservative right. And then, uh, but it really helped me to break away from all of that just by creating that smoke. Yes. And then the way I quit was what I just started rolling them because I didn't ever look like a smoker around the other smokers. I would sprinkle the tobacco and some mullen and some Damiana. And then as of January, I was like, because now I'm getting ready to turn 60-ish. My youngest turned 18. And. And I just stopped smoking, and I haven't smoked since January, and then now I'm going to the Bahamas. I just made my trip this morning, booked it, and sent my passport, renewal stuff off to go help with that disaster relief out there, just to, just to declare the beginning of my third act.
2: <laughs> wow. Amazing. What a great choice. Thank you. Uh, um, in relation to that, do you think I should get my tetanus shot before I go, or...? Tetanus is a bacteria that lives in all soils. It does not require a rusty nail to get tetanus. If you have, and there's a globulin you can take if you do get. Yeah, if where you have infected soil. For instance, if you have a small cut on your hand and you get your hand in the soil where there's tetanus, you could conceivably get a tetanus infection. However, tetanus is
8: oh, an anaerobic
2: area that's why it lives in the soil because it does not like oxygen
8: so, you so mean,
2: tetanus can only grow in a wound that is closed that's thus the rusty nail right it has nothing to do with a rusty nail if a brand new nail is laying in the soil and you step on it and it pierces into your foot that wound is likely to heal at the surface first leaving an unhealed area inside where tetanus can grow this right. is why if you go to the emergency room, if you get a bad cut, and they sew it up, they're going to give you a tetanus shot because they have just Right, because created... they've
8: closed it up and created the environment for it.
2: Exactly. So it's entirely up to you as to whether or not you get a tetanus booster. You probably had a tetanus shot as a child.
0: Yeah, I did.
2: And I grew up in a day and an age and around people who had, did not have a tetanus immunization. And my parents owned restaurants. I was a restaurant child. And I saw people get tetanus. I saw people, you know, cut themselves in ways that gave rise to tetanus. And I saw them go into tetany, and we would haul, as you say, we'd haul them off to the hospital and get the immunoglobin. I never saw anybody die from it. I saw some, you know, pretty painful situations.
8: Get your jaw, get locked up a little bit, but you don't die.
2: <laughs> exactly. I mean, right. you could if it went – if you didn't get to the hospital, it would get the immunoglobin, but, you know, because all of your muscles begin to clench up, right? The jaw is just the first one, and I've seen people – you know, real tetany, which is really sc- scary, especially for a child, to see somebody on the floor, you know, like – and all of their muscles tightening up at once. Um, so if you feel that the safest thing for you is to get a tetanus shot now and not have to worry about it while you're there – good enough, and if you feel like, oh, you know, I'm able to take care of any wounds that I get, and I don't expect that I'm going to be in a place where I'm going to be wounded, um, then the answer is no, you don't need a booster, but it's up to you.
8: Yeah, I'm, I'm prone to not to, because I'm, I, I'll am i i go locked and loaded with all kinds of goodies exactly. to cure everything, My where there is no doctor and all my other goodies. I'll be locked and loaded, ready to... Well, I, and I'm getting my first aid and CPR updated, so I'll be of more use. And,
2: oh, good uh, for
8: you. Thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time on the medicine field all the time. So, well, on to the next caller, and let's listen to this new guest speaker. I'm excited about it.
2: Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings.
3: All right. Uh, if you have a question for Susan, please make sure to press 1 to speak with her. We have one more caller with their hand raised in the 805 area code.
2: Hello? Hello?
9: Hi, Susan. My question for you is about spider veins. I am 39, and I'm walking right now, so I'm like, whoo, um, I'm 39, and... I would say maybe even in the past year, the spider veins in my size have gotten, I've gotten a lot more of them. I used to have maybe a few. And I went to see a vein specialist, and they suggested an ultrasound to see if there was an underlying issue, which I agreed to. And they basically told me that the valves in my veins or the valves in my legs aren't working very well and that I have chronic venous insufficiency. And they recommended a procedure called venous which I'm not really interested in. Um, I've tried other remedies too. I did compresses of witch hazel for maybe a month. Mm-hmm. I did those morning and night. And then I also... Was any result of any kind? Taking, no. And I was also taking um, horse chestnut tincture.
2: Uh-huh. And I
9: did that for probably a few months.
2: And any results? And I
9: haven't had... No. Maybe I didn't do it for long enough. Uh, maybe well, I didn't take enough.
2: Here's Here's what I would put together from what you've told me so far. And let's start here. The blood is pushed through the arteries. And it Mm -hmm. gets all the way up to the capillaries, and then it turns around to the capillaries, and it comes back through the veins. And because the vein is going retrograde through the veins, there have to be little valves in the veins. So the heart pumps blood, and it pushes the blood kind of up through the vein, and then the little valve Closes and keeps it there so that it doesn't fall back down again, right? Right. So what they're saying is that the little valves in your veins are not tightening up enough. Correct. So blood is leaking out. Mhm. So that this is why the witch hazel and the horse chestnut isn't working, because uh-huh. hey, you put the witch hazel on in the morning and heals all those. By the evening, there's new ones. Okay. And the same thing with the horse chestnut because there's this constant leakage into the capillaries or constant ability to clear the capillaries uh, and get the blood back into the veins. A few other things that might be useful is inverted poses even – putting your butt up against the wall and your legs up against the wall so that your legs are the opposite of the way they usually are.
9: Mm-hmm. I've been doing that also um, for at is least that, 15, 20 minutes in the evening. Um, I'll read and do that.
2: And any results from that?
9: No, it feels nice, but it doesn't. It does completely. feel nice.
2: Yeah, it, it feels nice. And the nice thing about it is it's the kind of thing you can keep up for quite a while.
0: Okay.
2: And it's, I would not expect it to be a cure, but I would expect it to help you maintain where you are. In other words, that it doesn't get worse. Okay. Because it has been getting worse. Right. The other thing is stinging nettle infusion, which is said to restore the veins to their youthful integrity. hmm So if you're already drinking drinking Nourishing Herbal Infusions, you might want to do nettle every third day instead of every fifth day. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah, the other thing that um, I always like to do is I'm going to collect information, is to collect information from my own body. So it's wonderful that you went out and you went to a doctor and the doctor collected information and now we have this information. But what does your body say about this?
9: I've been trying to think about that and I'm not really sure. Uh
2: Uh-huh. Well, you know, those kinds of questions are rarely answered by conscious thought. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The things that are going on Physically with us are physical things, but they're also symbolic. And so, okay. so what we're really asking is, what are you trying to say, buddy? Are you are you telling me something? Am I getting it? And the answer to that usually comes from a dream, from a flash of inspiration, from an overheard comment from a memory. Okay. Right, one of the most amazing uh, ways that I interacted with that. I was driving um, on the Massachusetts Turnpike, which is a very fast road. You know, the speed limit is 65, but everybody's going 75, and a bunch of people are going 85. And uh, suddenly, in my mind, I hear uh, one of my favorite teachers telling me a story about this woman with a tire that blew out. Mhm. And rather than just dismiss it, I pulled over into the slow lane, and sure enough, within 30 seconds, my tire blew out.
9: Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting.
2: So that, that kind of thing that we're, you know, I often say I need a charmed life, but everybody leads a charmed life if you're willing to recognize the charms.
9: Mm. I love that.
2: So don't think about it invite it before you go to sleep say i would like a dream that help would help me understand what's going on if you have a you know a lazy moment which happens every now and then in our lives mm-hmm. in, invite um images memories to come to you during that lazy moment okay So it's more a matter of being open to the answer than it is hunting it down. Or as my Tai Chi teacher says, when you've got it, you've had it. Awesome. Right? So let it be like the butterfly. It will come land on you, and then it will float on by.
9: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Susan.
2: You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night.
9: Green blessings.
0: Okay.
3: If anybody has a question for Susan, please make sure to press 1. And we do have an email question.
2: And Maretta called today, left her number. And I wasn't sure. She said, I know you're doing blog talk tonight. I really need to talk to you. So I wasn't what was up, but if we want to, we could call her, right?
3: Yeah, do you want to try to do that?
2: Let's try that. Here's her number.
3: All right, you'll eight, have to give the number over the air, but that's okay, I think.
2: 828-713-7892. Eight, eight, uh-huh. All right. Yes, it really struck me because she was so... Often hoping that everything's all right. Hmm, no answer. Let's go on to the email question it is, there it goes,
3: <laughs> okay, um says Susan, I am currently taking your first aid class and heard you tell a story about male children growing breast tissue due to long term exposure to lavender essential oil. The very next day, my mom sent me this article called, Chemicals in Lavender and Tea Tree Oil Appear to be Hormone Disruptors, based on the study indicating as much. I thought you might enjoy reading the article, so I have linked it in my email, so I can send that to you if you want, Susan. I have also heard you say essential oils are immune system suppressors. I'm wondering whether you could point me to any scientific research demonstrating this. I am surrounded by people who are very interested in them and am in need of some persuasive evidence of their dangers. I'm looking for any direction, on, <clears throat> excuse me, for any direction
2: on this. Thank you so much. Okay, well, the place that I like to start with essential oils is to acknowledge and recognize that they are drugs. They are not herbs. They are not herbal medicines. In Abundantly Well, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sightings about essential oils. And I have bolded page 155, which probably means that I have a lot of information on that page. And that page is aromatherapy. And um, I talk about the fact that essential oils can destroy bacterial cells, but they they injure all cells, and that they can kill energy-producing mitochondria in the cells as well. Now, we are in the alternative medicine section. So let's go to the back of that section here and look and see here are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight resources, including the National Institutes of Health. And the uh, article that she probably sent me, which is prepubertal gynecomastia linked to lavender and tea tree oils. There's a link to the Human Microbiome Project showing that essential oils are very dangerous to the microbiome. Science Daily. Uh, ish, um, you, if you go to n- n- www.nature.com and search essential oils, there are over 20. 1,000 articles on the dangers of essential oils. And then S-K-E-P-T-O-I-D, theskeptoid.com, right, um, in 2014 had an essential oil claims the dangers keep on coming article. All of these are listed, all the websites, right here on page 167 in Abundantly Well. But bottom line is essential oils are not herbal medicines. They are drugs. And I'm not a druggist. I'm an herbalist. That doesn't mean that I would never, ever in my life take a drug, that I would die before I would take a drug, but it certainly means that I don't want to confuse myself by believing that an essential oil is a natural or safe remedy. It is as dangerous as any other drug. Um, And perhaps even more so, uh, I guess it was, gosh, last week, a couple of weeks ago, somebody was telling us in great detail about um, why so many people who were first responders at 9-11 got sick. And it was because they breathed in extremely minute droplets of oil. Mm -hmm. And I said, is that any oil? He said, yes, any oil of any kind that's in the air that you breathe in is going to damage the lungs. Right there, look at how many people are infusing essential oils into their air and breathing it in.
3: Yeah, it really, I mean, it sucks. In Eugene, there's, like all the kids' play centers, they have diffusers in there, and I always complain. Oh, my gosh, how awful. (laughs) We had this going to like uh, this indoor like gymnastics park and then we went to a birthday party last week and at this other like jumping place which is also really dangerous my kids seem to always come home like hurting and sore and injured but um it had they it was so strong I could smell it like outside probably like 50 feet before we even got there we parked in the back of the parking lot and yeah very strong
2: Again, you know, put out with the belief that this is somehow natural. It's no more natural than aspirin is. Yes, aspirin is made from a plant. Essential oils are made from plants. But that does not mean that they're not drugs, just like aspirin's a drug. Once you extract, purify, and concentrate, you have made a drug. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you're doing with an essential oil. Lavender is perfectly safe to use. Boil a pot of water, throw some lavender in. There'll be a minute amount of oil in the air, but a lot of smell in the air. So uh, what I refer people to is natural scent therapy rather than essential oils. And let's take a step back and look at the larger picture this person has written in because she lives in a community where she wants to convince people and my advice is give it up. People who are open to facts will usually consider facts before they make a decision. And people who make a decision without facts usually will not have their mind changed by facts.
3: And so those multi level companies right, we, are
2: very. Cool. Yeah. We can, you know, say, show a great number of facts um, about how life has come to be on this planet and how it is diversified and spread across this planet. There is a lot of really clear evidence about how that has happened. But if you talk to somebody who really believes that um, some supreme deity did it all in a a week or a a few years, um, they're not going to be swayed by your facts. If you say, look at these bones, these are bones of animals that lived, you know, millions of years ago, they're going to say, oh, no, the supreme deity put those bones there, you know, just for fun. So you have to understand that you cannot hope to change people's minds by offering them facts if they didn't make a decision based on facts in the first place. William James was approached by a woman after a lecture, and she said, oh, Mr. James, you know, you're so wrong about the, about the, the planet Earth. The planet Earth is entirely supported by a huge tortoise. And William James looks at her and said, well, what supports the tortoise? She says, another tortoise, of course. And he opened his mouth to ask again, and she said, Mr. James, it's no use. It's tortoises all the way down. Enjoy people's beliefs. If you can. I take great joy from knowing that she believes it's tortoises all the way down. I don't. (laughs) I take even greater joy in standing outside after I've milked the goats at night and looking up into the, the great starry vault above and saying, I am standing on a planet that is spinning on its axis Whirling around the sun, the sun is in the great arm of the Milky Way, which I can see up there, and we are all traveling through infinite space, and those points of light there are not little pinpricks in the vault of heaven, but they are truly in and of themselves nuclear reactors that are suns, and I am standing right here and able to encompass all of this. It's just more exciting to me than tortoises.
3: hmm Incredible.
2: But I um,
0: but, but facts
2: thrill me. What can I say? You know, I love facts. Always have. So, but I understand that not everybody does, and that's okay. That's okay. I I can take joy in her tortoises. Does it, because does it really matter to her life? I mean, it gives me something in my life that I can stand out there under the starry sky and, and feel myself, you know, part of this immensity. But I'm sure that she gets something equally useful from feeling like there's all those tortoises supporting her.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah,
3: interesting. Would you like to try to take one more question before the guest arrives? Let's see if we can do that. Well, it's a it's also an email question.
2: Um, sure, then we can definitely. There's
3: nobody else. Okay. Hi, I know you're super busy, so you may not have time to answer this, but I'd like to ask you if you can give me a direction for something. I get a really bad headache after my cycle ends, in the first ending day, and gets gradually worse for two to three days until I can't sleep through it one night. And take two Advil. Advil is the only thing I have found that will break the cycle. I've tried both willow and aspirin for pain as well as skullcap, but none of them have been effective. The next morning, I still have the headache, but it is gradually gradually lessens over the next several days. I've been trying to take herbs that might help balance my cycle as I am certain it's hormonal, and I have managed to eliminate the second headache I used to get two weeks after the first one. I've been taking black cohosh and St. Jones wort tea. I used a lot of sage tea over the summer this last month. I took blue verban and yarrow tincture, but I still get the headache. I can tell it's inflammation. My forehead is, in particular, hurts. And it will feel like my whole face is swollen. And when I take Advil, I just seem to, it just seems to decrease. I'm not sure what herb to look for and how to use it. Thank you.
2: Sorry, there were some typos there. That's okay. Okay. One of the things that I think is most important to um, remember about hormones is that we are making hormones all the time, and the only time that our hormones are ever balanced is when we're dead. What people, I think, really mean when they say they're trying to balance their hormones is that they're trying to get, give their body a clearer hormonal signal, and here's what I mean by that. The blood goes through the liver. Every bit of blood in your body goes through your liver every hour. And the liver says, "Ooh, I like you. You can stay. Or I don't like you. Go to the kidneys and get pissed out." Or, hmm, you're rather complicated. Come back. And come back is second pass. And that includes hormones as well as chemicals. And on the second pass, the liver is supposed to take that hormone apart. I liken hormones to something made from Tinker Toys. There's that round piece in the middle, which is the cholesterol, and then the different colored sticks of different lengths that stick into it. So basically many hormones are based on cholesterol, and then different sticks of different lengths are put in there. So the liver is supposed to take them apart and kick those pieces back out in the blood so new hormones can be made. And when the liver is not working as well as it can be working, then several things happen. One, hormones remain in the blood. Because when it comes back the second time, the liver says, oh, you'll have to come back again. I'm sorry. I'm too busy now. Or two, the liver only partially gets it apart before it has to go on to something else. And so it gives a weird hormonal signal. And more to the point, the body lacks the raw materials to make the next hormone that it needs. And this is especially true in the menstrual cycle. So we don't want to balance the hormones. We don't want to use herbs that are hormonal because, in fact, that makes more problem with the liver. Any menopausal woman will tell you, because menopause is a state that is characterized by the highest levels of hormones you'll ever have in your life, that if you help your liver during menopause, you're going to feel a lot better. And there's lots of liver-loving herbs. Dandelion, chicory, burdock, milk thistle are four perhaps of the most important liver-loving herbs. But any liver-loving herb And dandelion, of course, is a big favorite of mine, um, will help your liver process those hormones, kick those pieces back into the blood where the next hormones can be made. In Chinese theory, the liver, when it is working well, holds the energy from the food and delivers it to the lower part of the body. And when it is not working well, then... The energy or the chi flies up into the head, giving a headache that is felt mostly in the forehead.
3: Are you still there, Susan? I'm right here. Right here. Oh, okay. Um, it looks like Sonia is here.
2: Well, let us wrap them. Up? Your grace, a mystic healer, artist, and storyteller. She is Norwegian and Native American. She is an energy surgeon and a remote healer who counsels an international roster of clients and has been doing so for over three decades. She's an award-winning author of books such as Spirit Traveler, Becoming an Earth Angel, Dancing with Raven and Bear, and Odin and the Nine Realms Oracle, her newest release. Sonia has appeared many times with George Nori on Beyond Belief and Coast to Coast AM. She's also featured on Great Minds, Inspirations, and Ancient Civilizations on Gaia TV, which is where you saw her, and she lives in Arizona with her husband.
4: Welcome to the show, Sonia. Thank you so much. I'm so glad I finally arrived. <laughs> I've been trying to get to you for a long time, so thank you.
2: You are welcome. I'm glad we have connected yeah. and f- and found each other. You, yeah, I um, know. Thank you. You've just put out a 54-card Oracle deck called Odin and the Nine yes. Realms.
4: Tell us about it. Well, um, I actually got to listen to a little bit of your show before I came on. So remind me, I want to just comment on a couple of things that you were talking about, and it was wonderful to listen to you. Um, Odin and the Nine Realms is sort of my gift to my clients because I work on people all day long doing healing work, but I also do a tremendous amount of processing work because I feel all illness really begins with a stored emotional wound in the body that has festered over time and turns into an illness or cancer or whatever. And so I help people go in and excavate these emotional wounds and these illnesses, both working on the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual bodies. Odin in the Nine Realms is sort of like, okay, when people can't get to me because I'm usually booked out four to six months ahead of time – they've got this wonderful Oracle where the Norse gods actually came to me and said, we want to come back. We need to help the people. And I traveled to Norway and actually opened uh, a portal in which they came through and they talked to me and they took me into the nine realms and showed me what was going on. And so I did all the artwork myself. I drew all the drawings and the pictures that you see on the cards of what I saw and depicted of the gods, the magic, the runes, all of it's in there. Fantastic.
2: Wow. That yeah. is amazing.
4: Well, you know you I have see some all Norwegian levels
2: yourself, yes?
4: Yes, I'm half Norwegian and I see all of the the unseen world. I see everything from angels and the demigods, like the Norse gods, the Egyptian gods, the Greek gods, the, the Hopi gods, the Mayan gods, I see all of that, including entities and aliens and other life forms. I see all of the unseen worlds. So, it, you know, it's, um, I'm kind of, I mean, I, I was born this way. I could see, hear, smell, feel, and weirdly taste everything in the spirit realm. And um, and I've been sort of hardwired since birth, and yeah, I had a really interesting childhood. <laughs> How did your parents react to that? <laughs> well, luckily, I grew up on a farm, so it was really easy for my parents to just, you know, tell us kids to go play, go play outside, which thank God we did, because I grew up you know, I grew up with, with the earth. I grew up with all the David realm and the spirits of the trees and the plants. And, you know, it was, it was beautiful. I'm, I feel so blessed that I got to grow up in such a, you know, earth based kind of um, upbringing. And I, and I just wanted to say, Susan, cause I love what you were saying. I, I dropped in on the quitting smoking uh, call you know quitting smoking and what I wanted to add to that is when I help clients quit smoking, I tell them that they have to make peace between them and the spirit of that tobacco. That that spirit is really strong, which is why us Native Americans use tobacco to pray with because we know how strong that spirit is. But smokers in the world need to actually you know, take apart a cigarette hold that tobacco in their hand and go outside and pray that that spirit of the tobacco releases them because that is, that is the, what, what, that's what, that's what holds smokers in, in that loop aside from addiction. It holds them in that loop so that they can't leave. And I, I know that probably rings bells for you because you're dealing with the spirit of the plants all the time.
2: Yes, when I uh, talk about magical plants and um, power plants, what I say is yeah. that there are three things that you need in order to use a power plant safely. First of all, mm-hmm. you have to be keenly respectful of the power of the plant. Yep. Secondly, Absolutely. you must be respectful of your own power, and you better bring your own power to the to the table there. Right. And thirdly, it must be ritualized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So long as you respect the power of the plant, bring your own power to bear, and create a ritual, what I see worldwide is that people work with plants. You know, you go to South America, my goodness, the relationship with tobacco is staggering. The things they do, you'd think they would kill a human being, but they don't. Yeah. Yeah.
4: You know, I I really – oh, go ahead. Sorry.
2: I was going to say because they have such respect for the spirit of that plant.
4: That's right. That's absolutely right. And in my Hopi culture, it's the same way. I mean, the respect for that plant and the fact that the tobacco grows wild and it's really strong, you know, it's, 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 it's greatly respected and it's used from that place of ceremony and ritual. So it is not being abused And and let me add further that in 39 years of working as a healer, it is my humble uh, sort of summary of where we're at right now, and that is we're living in a highly addicted society. We're addicted to food, we're addicted to shopping, we're addicted to alcohol, we're addicted to drugs. We're addicted to spiritualism. We're addicted, and and to, to me, until we deal with this level of addiction that's going on, it's really hard for people to get past the ego layer to really dive in deep and understand what those emotional wounds are and why they're they're in a cycle of addiction. So th- this is a lot of the work that I do with people because I think it's important that we um, that obviously that we heal. <laughs>
2: Indeed, absolutely. Is there a particular Norse god or a particular card from your deck that would be useful to someone who feels that they're addicted to any of the? Well, things? I
4: think that I think that drawing, you know, a couple of different cards. Of course, there's here is the is the it it actually means peace but she is the goddess or the physician to the gods Um, she's one of the valkyrie and she is immortal but she is someone who does all the doctoring and the the medicines for the gods and you know she is very powerful and i think that if someone gets the deck and draws this card that it's really encouraging you you know, to address whatever the illness is or the emotional ailment at the core. And, you know, I in my Native culture, again, we burn cedar to clear things. We don't burn sage. We use sage to bless things. And, you know, honestly, the the New Age community, I think, got a whiff of sage and went, oh, great, we're going to sell that. But really in <laughs> in most native cultures, sage is used to bless things and cedar is used to clear. So she encourages you to burn cedar and, you know, to really work on breathing in and exhaling the the illness and releasing that. Um I so there's a lot of cards in here that I think would be very powerful and potent for people dealing with their addictions, most of all, I think it's getting to that place and understanding what that really means. I mean, how many people do you and I know who spend so much time on their phone and they have no clue that they are addicted to it?
2: Well, actually, I think most people are quite aware that they're addicted to it. But it reminds me of the Mm -hmm. first time I was in Australia, and we were outside standing under a beautiful, really enormous cedar tree. And one of the women said mm-hmm. to me, do you bring any sacred cedar from North America? And my mm-hmm. jaw dropped open, hitting the ground. And I said, uh, mm-hmm. no, uh, because as you well know, you know they hardly even let me get my drum into the country. Um, I yep. had threatened to, threaten to mm-hmm. take off my underwear to get my drum in. The right. <laughs> said, they said, you can't bring your drum in. It's made of natural materials. I said, so is my underwear. Shall I take that off? <laughs> Ah,
4: That's a good one.
2: (laughs) I said, What's wrong with this cedar? They said, Oh, it's not a sacred cedar. I said, Yes, it
4: is. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, out here, uh, you know, on the res, we burn juniper, but we call it cedar. So we use juniper to clear. Yeah. Yeah, but when I'm in when I'm in Oregon, of course we we burn cedar from the cedar tree. Just depends right. on where you are and what you have. Yeah, it's it's
2: the first part of magical plants, and that that the part of the brain that engages with smell is a very mm-hmm. emotional part of the brain, and it's very deeply connected to our spirituality. So once exactly. you make a smell connection to something you can use that smell to activate that part of the brain again and again and again.
4: Right. Right. Exactly. Just like you talked about being triggered by with cigarette smoke, meaning love that it was, it meant love for you. It's it's so, yeah, it's so powerful. I mean, I smell cedar and boom, I'm at a ceremony. It's like, I don't care how many times a day I burn cedar. It's like, that's where I go and and it is that you know sensory memory that we have that's so powerful you know i can I, I can just out of the blue you know i smell a perfume it's my grandmother it's her perfume i know her she shows up usually it's her perfume shows up first yep you know but we all get triggered by smell and i i think it's interesting that um you know we have this we have such strong senses, but we tend to, you know, constantly do things that's going to shut them down. And, um, I, I encourage everyone. I think I make daily posts on Instagram and Facebook. About, you know, go outside, tell the earth how much you love her, connect with earth energy, because that's why we're here. As much as we want to think, oh, I'm here because of my my dog or my children or my husband because I'm soulmates with all of them. Yeah, all of that exists, but it exists because we have karma with them. Our main purpose, why we all incarnated long time ago at the end of Atlantis and Lemuria is because we are here to connect with this planet. And her energy is actually what fuels our energy. And the more cut off from her we are, the less energy we have. Don't get me started, Susan.
2: Oh, I want to get you started. (laughs) I remember many years ago when I suddenly realized that the earth was blessing me every time I stepped on her.
4: That's right. That's absolutely right. And it is amazing to me. I teach a grounding meditation that connects all the energy centers to the earth. It's very powerful. It's the basis of all my teaching. And I, you know, the amount of energy that surges through the body, like I tell people all the time, your, your, your um, nervous system is like, is like Ygrosil, the, the tree of life at the center of the universe. And that tree of life needs to be rooted and grounded into the, into the earth. Energy comes up and just lights up your whole nervous system and, and opens it for people who have some of those, you know, sciatic things. And, you know, the narrowing of the spinal column, that, that, that opens that up.
2: that's an amazing connection connecting that the nervous system with the, with the tree of life, which is so powerful in Norse mythology.
4: It is. It's the center of everything. And when I, when I went into this, this stone circle, it's called Stoppelsteinen. They took me literally to, to the tree of life. They took me to Yggdrasil and I could see how the realms, Existed all at the same time, but but were connected to this, you know, nervous system at the center of the universe, which is this great tree, and it was really beautiful. I mean, it's just a magnificent uh, energy to connect into. Like I said, with the nervous system, you know, we 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 tend to, um, I think, sort of shut ourselves off to some of these natural things that we can probably you know gain more than what we ever thought we'd we'd get if we would connect and i feel that we're not we're living at a time now where energy has sped up we've moved into the fifth dimension that happened when the Mayan calendar ended humanity as a as a race of beings i and our Our particular race of beings, humans, are quite extraterrestrial. We came here 20 million years ago, and we have been evolving this human race over time. And as we evolve this human race, there's different phases of humanity that happen. The one that we're in, where, you know, you and I and a lot of people who are listening came through during Atlantis and Lemuria We actually saw the fall of Atlantis and Lemuria, about 12,800 B.C. Comets hit the earth. There was all kinds of disruption. And then, then all these portals opened up all over the earth, signaling the gods. It's time for a new phase of humanity. And all the gods came down, the Norse gods, the Pleiadians who are gods, the Egyptian gods, the Mayan gods, the Hopi gods—they all came down, and and shaped and formed that particular civilization where they were. They cross-pollinated with the people. They taught the people their ceremonies, and then they all said, "Okay, you're on your own. We'll check in on you. We're here. We're supporting you," but you know, they they left. And this is why the Norse gods have come back and said, okay, it's time for us to come back because we're coming to the end of this phase of humanity. That's why we're watching all these things happen. Huge fires in Australia, flooding. There's locusts the size of birds in Africa eating the crops. Now we've got the coronavirus happening. We've got all kinds of things going on on planet earth. And she hasn't even begun to do her thing yet. Because she has to adjust to this fifth dimension, this higher vibration. Time and space is moving faster. We're all manifesting much faster. And it's it's really, I mean, I keep telling my clients, this is a time more than ever, ever, ever in our lives that we need to be going inside ourselves, meditation and doing the deep inner work. Because that's the only place where we're going to get where we need to go is on the inside.
2: When I was studying with Jean Houston and a hundred other people, we're uh-huh. our, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't private instruction. There were a hundred of us, hundred. We started out a
0: hundred, mm-hmm.
2: wound up about a hundred. She wanted us to watch a movie on the Gaia hypothesis. And I went to her and I said, Jean, have the night off. I know about the Gaia hypothesis. She said, no, go and watch the movie. So I, you know, mm-hmm. Dragging my heels went and watched the movie, and it didn 't say anything new about the guy hypothesis, although it 's always interesting to hear again. but there was something in that uh-huh. movie that you really needed to see and to hear and to understand and in that movie, it said that there was something called a threshold, and mm-hmm. it 's very similar to what you 're talking about as a portal, um, but mm-hmm. maybe aspect so if you have um, an atom and an atom and an atom and an atom, that's what you got. It's a lot of atoms. And you can have a whole bunch of atoms and all you have is a whole bunch of atoms. But if you mm-hmm. bind those or restrain those into a specific mm-hmm. time and space and you can get 10 billion of them into that time and space, then they will spontaneously mm-hmm. begin to make molecules.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Atoms
2: join together to make a more complex form. Right. And exactly the same threshold exists for molecule to cell. you
4: mm-hmm. going to have millions
2: of molecules and they won't make cells unless you can bind them into a space-time. And once you have 10 billion in a space-time, in a confined space-time, then molecules are going to start to make single cells. And it's exactly mm-hmm. the same from single-cell to multicellular organisms.
0: Mm -hmm, mm
2: So I believe that what you're saying, and the movie did not take the next step, but it's so obvious, is that we are now in a place where we are being bound by time and space. And when we hit 10 billion humans on this planet, Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. will then, without thought, without effort, without even knowing about it, we will begin to combine to make the next complex thing Now, there are still Mm -hmm. atoms, there are still molecules around, there are still single-cell organisms around, and there will continue to be multicellular organisms around. It's not a cataclysm, it's not the end of the world, everything doesn't stop, and some new thing starts. All the old things... No, no. But a new thing... It's
4: all a process. (laughs) (laughs) Right, it's... It's all a process.
2: Not the apocalypse, and... No. I actually believe, it's a belief... That um, there are those of us who will be what I call the interstitial tissues. So mm-hmm. the men mm-hmm. and our body work together because of the interstitium. And the yeah. interstitium is in a way a kind of a, a brain but it's smarter than a brain.
4: Right. And, I, and right. I, think,
2: I think that there are those of us to see and perceive and work with the net, the
4: mm-hmm.
2: at connective tissue, who will be here to hold firm while this change happens.
4: Right, right. And, you know, the thing I want to add to that is when we come to this end of the end of this phase of humanity, we, all of us, you know, adults out here, We're the ones passing the baton to our children and our grandchildren. They're the ones that they will herald the next phase of humanity. So the work that we're doing right now is very important because this work is what's going to set it up for them and that moment when they take over and start a new phase of humanity. I have been told many, many times this is the last time many of us will have a life on Earth that we will be going back to our basically home planets, you know, where we came from and we'll probably get, you know, another earth based assignment somewhere else in the universe. But this is not, this is, this is not, um, I have a lot of clients who say to me, Oh, please, please, please tell me we're not coming back. (laughs) And it's like, Oh, you've really enjoyed all these lifetimes on earth. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's like no, I don't want to come back, but we aren't. We're not coming back. A lot of the children, the babies being born today, the young children, they're all star seeds just like we were back in the time. They're all star seeds. They they've had one maybe incarnation on earth or none. And a lot of these children are having a hard time adjusting to being in physical bodies just like we did. Doctors are labeling them delayed and attention deficit and all kinds of labels that really aren't applicable. Because when I get the call from mom and mom says, can you work on Susie? She's really having a hard time. I don't know what's wrong. And I align and adjust and work on all the energy systems. And suddenly Susie is fully functioning. It's like, yeah, this is, this is a, an adapting time for these kids to understand what it means to be human. And, you know, they're coming from other places in the universe, and the galaxy. So it it is a weird adjustment to suddenly have this dense physical form called a body and figure out how to make it work.
2: Fortunately, it has a mind of its own. So it can, if we yep. listen and teach us how to have it work and and make it work, this is... Susan Weed here, and I am talking with Sonia Grace. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Is that at SoniaGrace.com? dot com?
4: Yes, and it's Sonia S O N J A Grace G R A C E dot com. Yes,
2: Grace dot com, and of course, as Rebecca mentioned, um, can be seen gaia tv um i'm wondering if mm-hmm. gaia d um I got it start from gaia radio remember you know, there was a gaia yes, radio. yes it,
4: it It. yeah and there was also you know a lot of yoga associated with the original gaia Yeah.
0: Uh, they,
4: gaia creation yes. yeah but they're they're quite a <laughs> you know, one show that I'm on, Ancient Civilizations, is now streaming on Amazon. So there's a lot of stuff going on with Gaia that's pretty, that's pretty exciting. A lot of good shows.
2: A lot of good shows, and so much more mm-hmm. than we can talk about. It's hard to believe, but we have actually just about consumed our entire half hour. I want to <laughs> oh, ask you no. about realms. I want to ask about the hum. Grasfeldstone, I want to ask you about. The and people, the Savrock, mm-hmm. oh, there's just mm-hmm. so many more things I want to ask you. But I know I will be able to find out those things if I look in your books and mm-hmm. uh, go to your website. And so I am going to ask you the question that I ask every one of my guests at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Is it that you would like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening to you right now?
4: The most important thing that we can do in this world today is truly to forgive each other, to look that person, whoever it is, your mom, your mate, your child, your grandfather, whoever, look them in the eyes, even if they're on the other side, visualize them, look them in the eyes, tell them, I love you, I forgive you, and please forgive me and feel love coming out of your heart and wrapping around them like a big cocoon. And I'm telling you if we did that with all the people we have issue with, and we did that with all the people of the world, we would really be clearing up a collective karmic experience that we keep having over and over and over again. So I encourage your listeners, please take time to do this forgiveness and, and let's heal this world together.
2: Beautiful words and so beautifully spoken. You know, you talked about Atlantis. And I've long been mm-hmm. of the belief that we really screwed up in Atlantis. We were just <laughs> filled with ego. We really <laughs> knew what we were doing yes. and so did not know what yes. we were doing. And so every single one of us has to be here right now yes. for love. Absolutely. To ho- we have come back here to
4: Absolutely. say
2: We screwed it up because we were too full of mm-hmm. ourselves. And the real path mm-hmm. here is love. And so I hear, yep. you, I hear you echoing throughout all of the centuries. I hear you echoing through all of our bodies. And I thank you so much, Sonia Grace, oh. for all you are doing thank for you, Susan. us, for spreading that love and reminding us
4: mm-hmm. that that's
2: really what it's about.
4: Thank you. It was really a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you so much.
2: You are so welcome. I have a, a concept of the um, the healing cloak of the ancients, and that what we are doing and what you are doing is to reweave this healing cloak of the ancients. And this healing cloak mm-hmm. of the ancients, in my mind, takes the form not so much of a, a densely woven thing, but more like a net, more like a net that
0: mm-hmm. sits
2: us. That's there. We're up on the on the high wire, and mm-hmm. we know that there is a net below us. We're not going to fall, but it's nice to know that that net is there. So thank you for the brilliant work thank you. to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients and to protect us all as we dance on the high wire. Rebecca, thanks for helping return medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. I just got a letter from somebody in Australia, another person in Australia, really miserable that herbal medicine has legalized in Australia, and that means you can't go out and buy any herbs, and you can't do anything on your own. Herbal medicine is people's medicine. They can never legislate the weeds away, so learn your weeds. You'll have friends forever. Green blessings, everybody.
3: Thank you, everyone. Good night.
2: Good I-